Welcome back to the Freight Waves Net Zero Carbon Summit. My name is Kaylee Nix, and we're here talking today with Lila Holzman. She's the Senior Energy Project Manager, Program Manager over at As You So in San Francisco. Lila, how are you doing today? Thank you for joining us. Doing well. Thanks so much for having me. Good to be here. Yeah, we really, really appreciate it coming all the way from San Francisco. So first things first, uh, talk to us a little bit about yourself, what As You So is, and then what you do there. Um, sure. So as you so represents shareholders, we are a group that leads investor engagements with companies. And as you so covers a variety of different um, ESG risks. So that's environmental, social and governance risks. My focus as the senior energy program manager is energy and climate change. So we talk to companies both in the energy sector and the financial sector and in other climate relevant sectors um, and try to you know, express our concerns about climate change and why we think our companies need to take action. So climate change is knocking on all of our doorsteps if it's not already here already. One of the most pressing issues. Tell me a little bit about how you decided that As You So was a good fit for you and that you wanted to align yourself with their mission. Sure. So my academic background is a mix of science and business. I have a bachelor's from Rice University in Texas focused on environmental engineering and then I also have an MBA from Wharton. And I have focused my whole career on sustainability and, and social impact. And I've wanted to be as practical um, as I can be in, in pursuing solutions that can really move the needle on these complex issues. And as you so has been a great fit because I am basically able to use both my science and my business backgrounds and, um, focus on influencing corporate behavior to take action on climate change, which is one of the biggest threats facing society. And it also underlies a lot of other social problems. So working on climate change at an organization like As You So has felt like a really impactful way to um, to move companies in the right direction and have a, have a big impact on a very important issue. So my background is in meteorology. Um, I'm not too far from you, went to the University of Oklahoma. And I've always had this interest in kind of the intersectionality because climate change really is an intersectional issue between science, communication, policy, and business. And if all four of those things aren't working together, then no change is going to be made. No progress is going to be made. And something I was really, really interested in uh, during my meteorology time was how do you communicate that this is happening and communicate it into a way that's different based on who you're talking to? You have to make those adjustments. That way people understand it as they're reading it, depending on their own personal perspective. Have you found that that's true, especially for investors in uh, large corporations? Absolutely. And, you know, when we have meetings and talk with company management, we are speaking their language. We are talking about our aligned values wanting to create shareholder value well into the future and really putting climate in terms of how is your business going to survive and thrive in a net zero economy? And that's the direction we're headed. So, you know, asking the companies, what are they doing to, to make sure that they will get there? And that impacts shareholders, that impacts um, the company, it impacts the entire economy. So that's, that's what we're talking about. And that's, that's how we, um, that's how we communicate. Exactly. And so there's this notion, I guess you would call it a notion, maybe a rumor, maybe it's a fact that there's a small handful of corporations who are responsible for a majority of contributions to climate change. Is this true? And if so, can you disclose who those corporations are? 
Sure, I'd say, well, more than maybe a handful. I think um, the data is getting better in terms of being able to look at a company's full carbon footprint and trace that back throughout the company's history. And so, for instance, the Climate Action 100 Plus initiative, which is a group of nearly 600 investors, it represents um, I think $54 trillion in assets under management at this point. And as you said, as a member of this, this group, what this group did was used data through the CDP platform and identified a hundred companies that have an outsized impact on climate change. And these are publicly traded companies. And so this group of investors is engaging a hundred and now it's, it's grown to more than a hundred companies that clearly have an impact on climate change. Um, and we also know beyond just looking at specific companies, we also can look at what sectors have the biggest impact. So we know that the energy sector, the transportation sector, industry, these are all areas that when you that you can really look at the carbon footprint and see that these are areas where we have to see reductions in carbon emissions. 100%, 100%. So you guys are connecting those investors and kind of helping bring their ideas into some clarity about where they're putting their money. What types of climate-related questions do those investors typically ask about those companies which they hold shares or are looking to hold shares in? Um, so this is a, an evolving question, but there are some basics that investors absolutely need to know when it comes to a company's climate footprint and climate-related planning. Um, so the very basic that, that we need to see is emissions data. So we need to see companies uh, calculating, disclosing, um, putting out there for the world to see what their emissions are. And when we talk about this, we also talk about different scopes of emissions. So direct emissions is something that companies tend to do a better job of and, and sometimes scope two, which is related to their use of energy. But um, scope three, so supply chain emissions, is a newer area, not, not really newer, but just gaining more attention. Um, so investors are, are ramping up in terms of wanting to make sure companies address scope three. And then once there's kind of a, a saying, you know, what gets measured gets managed. So once we have the emissions data out there and we can see progress year and year, we also are asking companies to tell us their targets. Do they have targets related to reducing greenhouse gas emissions? Are those targets aligned with the science that we know we need to get to uh, net zero by 2050? We know we need to try to, to uh, limit global warming to 1.5 degrees. Um, are those targets aligned with that? And then on, after that, we also want to see plans as to how companies can get to those targets. And we don't expect companies to know every step of the way what they're planning to do for the next couple of decades. But we do need to see some kind of you know, intention behind the target and behind um, early thinking towards how are companies going to transition. Um, and other areas you know, that touches on good governance, oversight, et cetera. And, and one area that we're, we're increasingly asking for um, disclosure on is also on lobbying, because sometimes what we see is a company might be doing some of the right things, might have some of the right targets, and then is in some trade associations that are lobbying pretty counterproductively on climate. So those are all areas that investors are, are you know, really putting the microscope on and, uh, or the magnifying glass onto, onto companies to really understand what are they doing and, and is it good enough? So you mentioned companies making those target plans, this idealized version of what they would like to become. 
What types of roadblocks lie in the way for those companies that are looking to hit those plans and become more sustainable? I would say that one of the biggest roadblocks we see with company management is honestly culture, inertia, just really having to reckon with the fact that companies do have to change their business models and have to come up with a transition pathway that will continue to provide value for for the company and shareholders, but also recognize that we're in a changing world. And sometimes that is a hard concept to grapple with if you're you know, steering a, a big ship, it's hard to, to change course. Um, I would also say that we, we acknowledge that some sectors are harder to abate than others. So for instance, the shipping industry is a harder to abate sector in that there's limited options in terms of uh, near-term actions that can really make a dent on reducing emissions. Other sectors like the power sector, there, there are some more obvious ways that are um, readily available. And so we, we acknowledge that those can be challenging um, factors and emphasize that that's all the more reason to start planning early because these things do take time. You need to start investing in R&D. You need to start thinking through what your company might look like in a couple of decades. And so, um, so those are some of the challenge areas that we find. So I asked a question that was similar to this in one of the other interviews I've done recently about planning to make those changes. And we all know where the world is going, right? Everybody's trying to take these steps to become greener. We know that our survival as a species, or the survival of the way that we do life really is in jeopardy if we don't make steps to mitigate our impacts here on the earth. If a company has not started making those steps, what should they be doing like today to do that? Yeah, I mean, every what, every company needs to start somewhere. And some of the companies we, we engage with are further or less far on their journey. Um, we hear it described as a journey a lot. And that's part of what we see our role as, is to prompt those conversations if we think they're not happening. Um, and yeah, companies need to just start digging in, looking at their own emissions, that, that kind of what I mentioned before, where that first step is really knowing your own impact and understanding where along your operations and your supply chain emissions are the greatest. And that so those are the areas that you could probably um, you might need to attack first and, and then, you know, making sure you have the capacity, you have the staff, the resources built in those areas. Um, I think some of the companies we talk to are, are huge companies and they just hadn't, it hadn't occurred to them that they need to invest in these areas. And so we are seeing a shift in that and companies are recognizing that they need to catch up if they are behind. Um, you know, some of them we've seen through writing their first sustainability report. And then they realize they need to do one every year and they might realize they need a special climate report. And so there, there are definitely different stages that companies are at and we try to meet them there and, and keep pushing them along. That makes perfect sense. And when you're talking about making corporate change, especially towards sustainability, sustainability is something, it has to be a cohesive effort uh, and collaborative no matter where you are in that company, whether you're the janitor who's working to use greener products cleaning a bathroom, or whether you're the CEO who's looking at what they can do from the top down. Can you tell me a little bit about maybe even some specific examples of any collaborative efforts you've seen companies undertake to kind of make that a cohesive invest or cohesive effort from everybody to employees and investors? Absolutely. And it's a it's an important question. I think sometimes we've seen, you know, companies recognizing they need to do something on sustainability. And so they hire a sustainability person, an ESG 
supporting person and think that they've checked a box and, and that's really not enough. And you need to make sure, you know, companies need to make sure that they are investing in those teams, that those teams are not siloed, that they're well integrated. Um, because sometimes then when we do talk to the sustainability team, it's like we can tell that they're trying, but if they don't have the buy-in from other departments, then there's lim really limited actions that they can take. And one, um, I guess one best practice that's worth mentioning has to do with executive compensation. And so what we're seeing there is, is as a best practice is actually tying compensation packages to greenhouse gas targets, reduction targets. Um, and this is something that we've seen as a way to make sure that management is really taking this seriously because otherwise, for instance, a CEO might be at the company while the company sets a long-term target, but that CEO might not actually be there during the time frame where that target should be met. So providing some kind of incentive for the CEO to take near-term action and make sure that the business is already planning and already beginning to transition is something that we think is really important and something that can help make sure that sustainability doesn't stay a far away siloed thing, but that it's actually incorporated into the near-term actions of the company. That is, I've never even heard of something like that, but that is, it makes perfect sense, right? You put that incentive to be there and make sure that, hey, I'm not going to push this off to the next person who comes after me. I'm actually right. going to make this work harder. That way I get a reward out of it, right? Exactly. Like not to kick the can down the bucket, but to really take responsibility now and and start investing and, and seeing those reductions even in the near term when you know the longer term target is a bit down the road. Exactly. Okay. So that feeds directly into my next question. When we're talking about the siloed idea of sustainability, let's instead talk about making a sustainability plan transparent, right? So it's open, it's available to see how important is that transparency when it comes to making investment decisions and how much should companies or corporations be disclosing to those investors to get their interest to say, hey, we have this goal, help us, in this, help us, support us in this goal. Right. That transparency is critical. I think that's something, you know, we've even occasionally asked in a shareholder resolution for certain disclosures that the company has tried to say they already do enough of, they have a little bit of disclosure here, a little bit there, check the investor call from a year ago. And, you know, that's not really a way to provide information to your shareholders and make it digestible and um, and really help to understand what the company is or is not doing and whether the the issues that we're raising are or are not sufficiently addressed by the company already. So that reporting and that transparency is is absolutely critical. And it also helps for differentiation to be able to compare and see the leaders and the laggards and investors are global and, and need to you know be able to see what companies in one part of the world are doing versus another. So that's it's all part of it. In terms of what information is the most um, useful, I mean, I mentioned some of the specifics before, just in terms of data, targets, um, governance practices, planning, CapEx. Um, I would say it, it is an evolving space and some companies do complain that there are too many frameworks out there. There's too many benchmarks and, and surveys, they get survey fatigue is, is a phrase we've heard, um, which I, I get. And, you know, investors also have that because often we're comparing apples to oranges when we see company disclosure. And so some of those 
frameworks are supposed to be designed to help with that issue and to be able to compare apples to apples when we're looking at company plans. And I, I will point again to the um, Climate Action 100 initiative, which launched its own benchmark recently with 10 indicators and scoring each company in terms of um, whether they meet all of the criteria or part of it. And it's it really gets at the ambition of the company's actions also. So not just do they disclose their target, yes or no, but is that target really going to get us to where we need to be? And they have some methodology behind that. Um, so I would say in general, it is evolving, but the, the trajectory is more information is better and uh, investors are increasingly sophisticated when it comes to, to this topic. And, and you know, we BlackRock's uh, Larry Fink's letter every year focuses on climate change more and more. And so this is something that, you know, companies do if they haven't done a climate report yet, it is past time. Right. So, okay, I'm a company. I've got investors looking at me. I'm saying, hey, okay, this is my information. This is what I'm going to do about climate change, my initiatives, my sustainability initiatives. Do you see putting forth that information as kind of a trend that companies are using to attract that outside attention, but they don't necessarily follow through on it? Or have those companies been been true to their word? Like, are they practicing what they preach? Um, that's a great question. And I would say we we see some of both. In general, I think the trend is positive. I think that the trend is companies ramping up ambition, kind of rise to the top uh, in terms of peer pressure. Um, but we do occasionally see some targets come out where we look at underneath the target or we read the fine print and we say this target really either there's no plan to achieve it and so we're skeptical or the target doesn't cover everything that it it sounds like it's covering when you first hear the the kind of the tag the headline um so that is you know we do have to keep paying attention and we do have to keep asking the right questions to really understand how meaningful some of these company announcements really are. Um, so yeah, in general, I would say the direction is there, the direction is positive, but it doesn't mean that every corporate announcement is perfect. It's far from that. It's, it's, we really do have to, to pay attention. And, you know, companies also sometimes will ask us what, um, you know, that they'll ask us for other best practices. They'll ask us, what do you want us to, to do? What do you, what's a good example of a transition plan? What's a good example? Um, and it's hard because a, a lot of times what we see is there's no A plus from any one company, but there's sort of good and bad. Companies um, excel in certain areas and do a really good job of a, a one or two of the indicators and then they lag on others. So we try to to point to those areas as, as basically saying, we see progress, but it's but there we need to see more. There's always more that can be done, and we're not there yet. Um, and I'll mention also, uh, science-based targets initiative is uh, is designed to help kind of be a third-party validation for for setting targets, because again, otherwise sometimes these you know you hear net zero, but what what scopes of emissions does it cover? And what does the net mean? And so there you can really dig in and get get far into the weeds with these questions. But it is important to do that to be able to to determine the answer to your question, which is is are these corporate announcements meaningful or are they, you know, designed to get the good headline but without having to do the work. And we want to make sure these companies are really, really doing the work. 
You want to hold people accountable for what they say that they're going to do, right? Absolutely. So in your opinion, going into the next 10, 15 years, what do you think are the three most important factors to a greener or a more sustainable corporate world? Uh, so many things. <laughs> Just three. Um, let's see. One I'll start with, and I, I mentioned this a little bit before too, but the concept of scope three emissions of the indirect supply chain emissions, I think is it's already something investors are paying paying attention to, and that will just grow. And this really means companies having to grapple with their complex global supply chains and understanding what part of their world their products are coming from, how are they being shipped from place to place. All of that is on somebody's carbon accounting books. And so if you know if everyone sets a target to get to zero, that all has to get to zero. Um, Another important factor I would say is um, is tying access to capital to climate progress. And so this is part of the work that investor groups like As You So does and, and really trying to differentiate leaders from laggards and to be able to say, you know, companies that are not meeting their climate targets, there are going to be impacts there. And we're seeing the banks setting their own targets for their financed emissions and there's the, the Poseidon principles where banks have a specific focus on shipping and wanting to make sure that shipping um, companies are, are reducing. And, and so the banks are working with their clients because if their clients aren't reducing, the banks aren't reducing. And so there's that, that tie there. Um, and lastly, I, I will say that regulation absolutely has to play a role. So, you know, whereas you sits is more on the financial investor engagement side, but Part of what we we also see our work doing is paving the way for regulation. So by asking for certain disclosures, the SEC these days is, is definitely paying attention to the disclosures that we are asking for and recognizing that companies are not disclosing enough on climate change. And so I think it's reasonable to think that regulation will come soon in terms of just what to even disclose on climate from a company, not to mention actual regulation that would that would would more be more on the side of mandating or incentivizing emission reductions. So I think that that is coming and corporations who see that and can get ahead of it are going to be the ones that that continue to thrive as we as we make this transition to net zero. This was pro probably out of all the fireside chats I've done. This was the most interesting fireside chat that I've done so far. Lila, thank you so much for joining us today. If people want to learn more about As You So, where should they go? Asyouso.org. Awesome. Thank you so much again. Make sure that you're staying tuned for more awesome content coming out of the FreightWaves Net Zero Carbon Summit. Thanks so much for having me.